بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد so today is part two we have a lot to cover so I'm going to jump in immediately we were talking about the methods of the living benefiting the dead or what is called إصال الثواب إلى الميت and I said that by unanimous consensus of all the مذاهب of Islam certain things benefit the dead and that is first and foremost his own good deeds that continue after him and that's something that is no controversy we mentioned uh, the three things that are mentioned sadaqa jariya uh, and that is direct sadaqa jariya and knowledge that people benefit from and a righteous child that makes dua for him and i mentioned as well that another thing that is by unanimous consensus benefits the deceased dua and istighfar of others for the deceased there is no controversy over dua and istighfar okay i mentioned them and i mentioned the evidences uh, for them we now move on to that area in which there is some controversy and in my list from yesterday from last week i went over five things number six now is sadaqa number six is sadaqa and there are numerous narrations that indicate that sadaqa benefits the deceased let's mention some of them abu huraira said that a man came to the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and said that O Messenger of Allah, my father passed away and left behind money and did not write a will. If I give sadaqah on his behalf, will it forgive his sins? And the Prophet said, yes. And there are other evidences that are very clear in this regard. Uh, Sa'ad ibn Ubadah gave a well for his mother. He built a well for his mother. All of this is explicit. Number six is sadaqah on behalf of the deceased. Number seven, hajj and umrah. Hajj and umrah. As I said, I'm going over all the hadith and then I'm going to go back and look at the scholars of fiqh. So what does the hadith say? Hajj and Umrah. Hajj and Umrah. A number of traditions mention that the living can do Hajj and Umrah on behalf of the dead. This is something that is very explicit. Ibn Abbas said, hadith is in Bukhari, that a woman from the tribe of Juhayna came to the Prophet ﷺ and said, my mother made a vow to Allah that she would perform Hajj. A vow means, I am sick, if you cure me, O oh Allah, I will go for hajj. This is called a nether, okay? And the hukum of a nether, I will talk about in another lecture, but generally speaking, it is not mustahab to do a nether, but it is not haram. And if you make one, then you must fulfill it. You don't bargain with Allah. You don't say, O oh Allah, if you do this, I'll do that. But if you say it, then it becomes wajib on you to do. So if as a person says, if my son is cured, I will give a thousand dollars in charity. Our Prophet ﷺ said that making another does not change qadr, but it extracts from the miserly person. Meaning what? The man would not have given a thousand dollars, but now that he made the another, he has to give a thousand dollars. So it extracts from the miserly person. Therefore, Another is not something that is generically mustahab. It's not going to change qadr. Better than that, you make dua, you do other things directly. But if you make another, you need to fulfill. Clear enough? So, my mother made another that she would perform hajj. And she passed away without fulfilling the another. May I do hajj on her behalf? The Prophet ﷺ said, listen to this. Let me ask you, let me ask you, if your mother left a debt... Would you not repay that debt? She said, yes. So he said, the debt of Allah 
has more right that you fulfill it back, do hajj on behalf of your mother. Hadith is in Bukhari. Right? Very explicit. The lady made a nadir. She didn't do it. The daughter is saying, can I fulfill the nadir of my mother? Yes, fulfill the nadir of your mother. And he gave a qiyas, an analogy. Imagine if your mother had a debt, wouldn't you pay it? Yes, so now she has a debt to Allah, so you should fulfill that debt. Another hadith in Sahih Muslim. That a man came and said, O Messenger of Allah, the faridah of hajj was revealed and my father is shaykhan kabiran, a very old man. La yathbutu ala rahila. He cannot sit on a camel. In other words, when Allah revealed the commandment to do hajj, right? This is in the ninth year of the hijrah. The late, this man is too old to do hajj. So the child says, May I do hajj on his behalf? And the Prophet said, Yes, you may do hajj. Now this hadith is for a living person, by the way, who is very elderly. It's not explicitly for the deceased, but the concept is there that the one who cannot do hajj, another person will do hajj on his behalf. We all know this called hajj badal, and that's an issue of fiqh, but this is used in the generic controversies, or sorry, in the generic evidences of doing a good deed on behalf of a, uh, another. And in a similar narration, uh, Abu Razin al-Uqayli, maybe the same one, maybe a different one, we don't know. He said, Ya Rasulullah, my father is a very old man. He can neither accompany, uh, a, a ride on a camel, nor he, can he go for hajj. May I do hajj on his behalf? And the Prophet ﷺ said, He added, Go ahead and do Hajj and Umrah on behalf of your father. This is in Musnad Imam Ahmad. Ibn Abbas narrates, reported in Al-Daraqutni, that a man came to the Prophet ﷺ, and this is now we get explicit, and said, My father died without performing the Hajj of Islam. May I perform Hajj on his behalf? And once again, the exact same thing that the Prophet said to the lady from the tribe of Juhayna, he said to this man, let me ask you, if your father left a debt, would you not pay that debt on his behalf? And the man said, yes. So the Prophet said, فَحْجُجْ عَنْ أَبِيكَ Perform the hajj on behalf of your father. This is again very explicit. However, in all of these things, there is one point, and that is what? Death is there, no. Children, family members, not even this. They haven't done their hajj fard. Their fard of hajj. They have not done it. Either living or dead. They haven't done their fard hajj. How about nafil? It's not mentioned here. You understand this, right? This is where the controversy is going to become. Because all of these hadith are mentioning the faridah of hajj. And the Prophet is saying this is a debt owed to Allah. Okay, what if you fulfill the debt? Now you just want to pay extra. That's not explicit, but there's one narration that is used. And this is the famous one in uh, Abu Dawood that when the Prophet was going for Hajj, this is in the 10th year of the Hijrah, when he's going for Hajj, the Prophet was wearing the ihram and a man wore the ihram and said, لَبَّيْكَ عَنْ شُبْرُمَ لَبَّيْكَ on behalf of Shubruma. Not on behalf of me. I'm doing hajj on behalf of Shubruma. The Prophet said, Who is Shubruma? Who is Shubruma? The man said, He is 
a friend or a brother. One, uh, the, the, the narrator said, I forgot, did he say friend or brother? He is an akh or a qareeb, a relative or a friend of mine. The Prophet ﷺ asked this man, Did you do hajj on behalf of yourself first? He said, no. So now the Prophet ﷺ said, This is the famous hadith that we say to anybody going for hajj badal. Right? Anybody doing hajj badal, you cannot do hajj badal until you have done your own. What is the evidence? This hadith here. I mean, sorry. Excuse me. Do hajj on your own behalf and then go ahead and do hajj on shubruma. Now, the point here, the Prophet ﷺ did not ask, is shubruma somebody who has done hajj or not? He didn't ask too many questions. He let it be. And we have a principle in fiqh. That تأخير البيان عن وقت الحاجة Delaying asking questions Or delaying clarifying When you needed to clarify Is an indication you don't need to clarify The very fact that he didn't quiz the man Has Shubhrama done hajj And by the way Shubhrama here أَخُلْ لِي أَوْ قَرِيبِ He didn't say father or mother He said brother or friend or relative Right? Clearly Shubhrama is not the father Shubhrama is a friend or a relative or a brother this shows as well we are widening the case. It's not just the son or the daughter on behalf of the parent. So these are the ahadith about uh, fasting, uh, sorry, and about, about hajj and umrah. Category 9, fasting. Category 9 is about fasting. A hadith about fasting. Aisha narrated that the Prophet ﷺ said, مَنْ مَاتَ وَعَلَيْهِ صِيَامِ صَامَ عَنْهُ وَلِيُّهُ مُتَّفَقٌ عَلِيْهِ Bukhari al-Muslim Whoever dies and he had some fast that he had to still do then his wali should fast on his behalf So a person fell sick the last year of his life Ramadan came and he wasn't able to fast a week and then he passed away that year and his children know oh he has one week left So the hadith is what? You should make up that week Okay, a lady did not fast a week and she passes away. Her daughters know, oh, my mother didn't make up that week that she was supposed to make up. So then her daughter should make up that week that was not fasted when she or he was able to fast. We're not talking about elderly, they give kafara, that's something else. No, we're talking about somebody who did not fast for a legitimate excuse and then thought, I'll make it up. And then died before he or she can make it up. In this case, the, the hadith is explicit. Whoever has some fast left over, then his or her wali should fast on their behalf. And uh, in the Musnad Imam Ahmad, Ibn Abbas said that a lady came to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and said, my mother, my mother passed away and she did not make up all of the fast of Ramadan. You know, ladies don't make up all the fast. They, she died before she could make it up. Should I fast on her behalf? And the Prophet ﷺ said, Sumi an ummiki. Fast on behalf of your mother. Mustad Imam Ahmad. Now, in both of these hadith, what is the circumstance? Making up. They do not mention what? Nafil, voluntary. So this is where we're getting now to why is there controversy? Okay, what is going on here that scholars have differed? When you read the ahadith, you find certain conditions in some and not in others. Hence, we're going to get to this controversy. The ninth and final of the list before we move to the scholars of fiqh. The ninth and final, and this technically comes under sadaqah, but it is explicitly mentioned, and that is udhiyah. 
udhiyah. Udhiyah is a type of sadaqah. And so technically we can add it to category number five and say this is you know, a type of sadaqah, but still because it is mentioned specifically, I put it in a separate category. And the hadith is authentic in Muslim Ibn Muhammad that Amr ibn al-As, the famous companion, the father of Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As, the famous negotiator, the famous person who uh, became the grand vizier, if you like, or the prime minister under Muawiyah, the, the sahabi who was blessed with a very keen sense of politics, this Amr ibn al-As. Uh, he... And of course his father, Al-As ibn Wa'il, was one of the icons of Quraysh. Ayat were revealed about Al-As ibn Wa'il, not very positive. This is Al-As ibn Wa'il. But he was one of the icons of the Quraysh. And he's from a very noble family, noble meaning bloodline, not noble meaning his actions. So Al-As ibn Wa'il, well known. Amr ibn Al-As said, Ya Rasulullah, my father Al-As ibn Wa'il, before he died, he made another to Allah to sacrifice 100 camels. 100. He was a wealthy man. He's one of the leaders of the Quraysh. And my brother, Hisham, took half of that nadr, and the other half is on me. So the two sons, Hisham and Amr. Uh, and interestingly enough, Hisham and Amr both accepted Islam, and the father refused to the end, and he did not accept Islam. So Hisham took on 50 and sacrificed 50 on behalf of his father. Now Amr is saying, do I have to do the other 50? And our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, أَمَا أَبُوكَ فَلَوْ كَانَ أَقَرَّ بِالتَّوْحِيدِ فَصُمْتَ وَتَصَدَّقْتَ عَنْهُ نَفَعَهُ ذَلِكَ This is a very important evidence. If only your father had accepted tawheed. أَمَا أَبُوكَ How I wish, alas! If only your father had accepted Tawheed, then if you had fasted and given charity on his behalf, he would have benefited from that. Meaning what? Should you or should you not? There's no point. There's no point. Why? Because he didn't die as a Muslim. Now this hadith is quite explicit. This is not fard. This is not something that is obligatory. Sumta, siyam is mentioned here. Watasadakta. And this is not obligatory per se. It's just he said, I want to give a hundred camels. It would have benefited him. Okay? So these are nine explicit categories about mentioning deeds that can benefit the dead. And I mentioned. Uh, pretty much as to the best of my knowledge Pretty much comprehensively If there's any that I have not mentioned Please come to me and I will add them next week And credit you inshallah ta'ala I've tried to do my research to the best of my knowledge The nine explicit things that are mentioned Of benefiting the dead And when it comes to isal thawab It's only the last four or five The first three or four as we said Is the man himself and his own actions So isal thawab is actually very limited here Now there is a few that people have tacked on Most importantly the hadith, recite Yasin over your dead. And some ulama have attempted to use this hadith to say, reciting the Qur'an is explicitly mentioned in the hadith for the dead. But the majority have said, look, whether Qur'an reaches or not, we're going to talk about it in five minutes. This hadith cannot be used. Why? Because, اقرأوا على موتاكم سورة Yasin. 
Firstly, uh, inshallah, it is a Hassan hadith. It is a Hassan hadith, just barely authentic. And even those who considered it to be uh, not authentic from the classical scholars, they still acted upon it uh, because this is in Fada'il al Amal, as we mentioned uh, many, many weeks ago. And pretty much the consensus of the Ummah for 14 centuries or 13 and a half century was that you may act upon slightly weak hadith when it comes to fada'il al-a'mal, when it comes to supererogatory uh, elements. And I mentioned this, Imam al-Nawi says there's ijma' on this issue. And even Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim, they use da'if hadith in all of their books other than their sahih. This is well known and I mentioned this in a Q&A, you can check it up. So the point being, it is the custom of the ummah and the explicit statements of pretty much the majority of the scholars that when the person is on his or her deathbed, it is a part of our sharia to recite Yasin. Now, why then am I saying this hadith cannot be used to talk about Isalu al-Thawabil al-Mayyit? Why? The guy is still alive. Why is Surah Yasin being recited then? To ease the pangs of death. So the evidence might be authentic, but it is being used in a manner that is not meant to be used. You get my point here. The hadith cannot be used in the chapter of the evidence of giving your good deeds to the deceased. Because this hadith has nothing to do with giving good deeds to the deceased. It has to do with making the last few hours and the last few minutes of the deceased life easy. So there's no isalu thawab going on here. Okay, So there's nothing of this nature. Also there are some hadith that are closer to being fabricated. They're very, very weak. And... Uh, scholars unanimously agree when the hadith is very weak or slightly above fabricated, we completely abandon it. In which there's encouragement to read, for example, Qul Allahu Ahad 11 times in the graveyard. Even when you read it, you know this is weird. Go to the graveyard and recite 11 times Qul Allahu Ahad over the dead. So these types of hadith are almost fabricated. They are considered to be not even worth it. They're not found in any of our mainstream. They're found in very obscure works and they're very weak. So there's nothing authentic to the best of my knowledge other than what I have said. Jayid. Now, I've mentioned the hadith. Now let's look at how our scholars of fiqh understood these ahadith. There is a spectrum of opinion when it comes to gifting the good deeds to the deceased and our madahib. Some of the madahib were stricter and some of the madahib were more open-minded in this regard. And what is very interesting, and I need you to pay attention, this is going to be a very detailed lecture, inshallah, the next half hour, and I don't want to lose anybody in this. It's going to be a very detailed lecture, as I promised you. It is my goal, inshallah, that this is the most detailed you have ever heard on this topic. Dare I say, maybe even, I haven't found any even on YouTube, to the best of my knowledge, in the Arabic language, because every person just gives what he thinks is the right answer. Very few are willing to mention other opinions and discuss them unbiasedly. Everybody wants to give his opinion and then reject the others. And my goal is to see what has the ummah said. I'm not the first, I'm not going to be the last. What has 14 centuries of tradition said? What have our great fuqaha, Imam Abu Hanifa, Imam Shafi, Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, Imam Taymiyyah, what have they said before I possibly say perhaps this one seems to be stronger? So let's say what the classical ulama have said. And what we find very interestingly is that of the four madhabs, one of them has been consistent from its inception up until now. Two of them have kind of sort of flipped one way, and the last one has flipped the other way. In other words, 
three of the madhabs have initially had a certain position and then over the course of Islamic history slowly but surely they flipped around and they've gone against the opinion of their own founders and this is by the way not uncommon for those who study fiqh you will know it's not uncommon a lot of times you have an explicit statement of the founder of the madhab and then slowly but surely the later scholars collectively began changing the stance until the fatwa given in that madhab is exact opposite to what the founder of the madhab said this is something that is well known to the students of uh, fiqh so the one madhab that has been pretty consistent throughout its inception is the Hanafi madhab. MashaAllah, tabarakallah, they have maintained their consistency. The Hanafi madhab from its beginning has said that any and all good deeds can be gifted to the deceased without any restrictions. They are the most open-minded, generous. I like this word. Yes, they are the most generous. Gift any good deeds to the deceased. In fact, most of them even said, why stop at deceased? Give them to the living as well. You can give to the living as well. So we have, for example, Ibn Abidin, the author of the Hashia. He quotes from Bada'i al-Sana'i of al-Kasani, the famous... Um, Hanafi scholar of medieval Islam Al-Kasani died 587 and Ibn Abidin died 1134 where are Hanafi scholars here anyway um, these are all famous Hanafi ulama Al-Kasani writes it doesn't matter whether the one you gift a deed to is alive or dead you may gift and it doesn't matter whether you intend to gift before you do the deed or you make up your mind after the deed has been done and you decide after it's been done, I'm going to give this deed to the dead. And the Hanafi madhab allows the gifting of any good deed, including salah. And of course, siyam and hajj and umrah and qiraat al-Quran, anything and everything can be gifted to anyone else. And they consider this to be the haqq or the right of the one who has done the deed. Once you do the deed, you may then decide, even before or after, to give the reward to somebody else. That's your prerogative. And this has been their consistent position throughout history. As for the Shafi'i school and the Maliki, the Imams, both of them, began in one position, and then over the course of history, especially the Shafi'i Madhab, the modern Shafi'i Madhab has essentially completely gone against. And as for the Malikis, uh, and out of the four Madhabs, by the way, I must confess the Maliki Madhab is the one uh, I am the least familiar with in terms of development and whatnot. That's because geographically it occupies a region that uh, is different than the other three. And I have better dealings with the books of the other three. Nothing against the Madhab itself, my own personal issue. So... To the best of my research, the Maliki Madhab is still divided on this issue, even though the founder was explicit. What did Imam Malik and Imam Shafi'i say, the both of them? They said, Imam Shafi'i said, and I quote from Imam Shafi'i, other than fulfilling the wajib, such as the guy didn't fast or whatnot, and sadaqa and dua and istighfar, four things. No deed benefits the dead and nothing reaches the dead. This is from Imam al-Shafi'i directly in his Kitab al-Um. Directly Imam al-Shafi'i says, either the guy didn't do a wajib, 
meaning in particular any wajibah that is left than the other prayer. Like the hadith says, "Man mata alayhi sum sama'an huwaliyuhu." Okay, this is a wajib. There's some missing. Then you make up the wajib, but not nafil. Or sadaqa dua and istighfar. And there is no controversy in any madhab about sadaqa dua and istighfar. All the madhabs allow this, right? So the Shafi'is are the most restrictive. Sorry, Imam al-Shafi'i is the most restrictive. And he explicitly says, nothing else can be done for the mayyit. And no deed reaches the mayyit other than this list that he gave over here. And then he quotes his evidences. وَأَلَّيْسَ insani إِلَّا مَا سَعَى And إِذَا مَاتَ بْنُ آدَمْ so he quotes two solid evidences and he goes, خلاص, deal with it. I've proven my case. The son of Adam, man, man will have nothing other than what man himself strove to do. And these are not things that the man did. And when the person dies, everything is cut off except for three things. So Imam Shafi'i says, it is very clear, these things cannot be gifted to the deceased. Okay? Imam al-Nawawi, and Imam al-Nawawi is the greatest expounder of the Shafi'i madhab in medieval times, right? The muhaqqiq of the Shafi'i madhab in medieval times is Imam al-Nawawi. Imam al-Nawawi writes in his uh, Sharh of Sahih Muslim, volume 7, page 90, وَالْمَشْهُورُ فِي مَذْهَبِنَا أَيْ مَذْهَبِ الشَّافِعِي أَنَّ قِرَاءَةَ الْقُرْآنِ لِلْمَيِّتِ لَا يَصِلُهُ ثَوَابُهَا وَقَالَ جَمَاعَةٌ مِّنْ أَصْحَابِنَا يَصِلُ ثَوَابَهَا وَبِهِ قَالَ أَحْمَدِ بْنَ حَنْبَلْ Imam al-Nawwi says, the famous position of our school, and Imam uh, is a Shafi'i, the famous mashhur it's called, the one that is well known in our school, is reciting the Qur'an for the deceased does not reach the deceased. However, some group of our school said it does reach the deceased. And this is the position of Ahmad ibn Hanbal. Okay? So, Imam al-Shaf, sorry, Imam al-Nawawi is saying in his time, and when did Nawawi die? 676. Imam al-Nawawi died 676 Hijrah, medieval times. Literally smack dab in the middle from now, from our times to the process. Imam al-Nawawi is in we call, what we call medieval Islam. Imam al-Nawawi said, the famous position of the Shafi'i madhab is reciting the Quran does not reach the deceased. But he is saying, a large group though is disagreeing with this. Okay? Now, this is what he is saying. A large group. Over the course of the last few hundred years, that large group has become the dominant. And the original position of Imam Shafi'i himself has become almost discarded in the Shafi'i madhab. And modern Shafi'i scholars pretty much almost all of them that I have come across give fatwa based upon the, the, what was the minority opinion. And for example, if you look up the uh, Darul Ifta of Egypt, which is, I would say, representative of the Shafi'i school by and large. It is now the, yani the Azhar Institute and whatnot. And you look at the Syrian scholars who follow the Shafi'i madhab, you just look at their fatwa online, you listen to their lectures. Generally speaking there, they are completely open to the idea of gifting your good deeds to the deceased. Okay? So the modern scholars of the Shafi'i school have given the fatwa that you may do good deeds and gift them to the deceased. And on top of this list is reciting the Qur'an. Is that clear? That is the Shafi'i madhab. 
The same goes for the Malikis. However, to the best of my knowledge, the Maliki Madhab still has two opinions in it. And I'm not in a position to tell you which one is a majority in our times. I'll simply say I found Malikis on both sides of the spectrum in our times. Imam Malik himself was on the same Madhab as Shafi'i. No gifting. Imam Malik wanted to close the door. And Al-Qarafi, the famous Maliki scholar, writes, In our Madhab, there are three types of good deeds. One type that without a doubt its thawab does not go to anybody else except the one who does it, such as Iman and Tawheed and the Kalima. Nobody can accept Islam on behalf of somebody else, right? And another type that the scholars have agreed that somebody can do them for the deceased, and these are Al Qurubat al Maliya. This is the Maliki Madhab. Monetary good deeds can be gifted to the deceased. Any monetary. Give me examples of monetary. That is what monetary means. Give me examples. Sadaqah, what else? Masjid, what else? Udhiya, hospital, wells. Anything where money is spent. The Maliki Madhab says, wherever you spend money, then you can give to the deceased. This is the Maliki, Imam Malik's position. And he said, the third category, that which is the bodily actions, such as fasting and hajj and qira'at al-Qur'an. And he says, Malik and Shafi'i said, no, we cannot do that. This is Imam al-Qarafi, one of the icons of the Maliki Madhab. And he quotes directly from Imam Malik, Malik did not allow this to um, happen. However, like with the Shafi'i Madhab, developments occurred in the Maliki school. And large segments of the Maliki school began giving fatwa that it is allowed. And um, Ibn Hilal in his uh, Nawazil, he writes, the fatwa of Ibn Rushd, Ibn Rushd, the famous Maliki scholar. Ibn Rushd, one of the greatest Maliki scholars from, uh, from uh, Qurtuba, from Andalus. The fatwa of Ibn Rushd. And the madhab of the majority of our Andalusian scholars, because the Maliki madhab flourished in Andalus, is that the mayyit benefits from the recitation of the Qur'an of the living and the thawab reaches the mayyit. And he writes, this is Ibn Hilal, a scholar of the Maliki madhab, he writes, and this is the actions that the Muslims east and west have done. Meaning what? Reciting Qur'an for the deceased. This is something that everybody has done. And the custom has been done since time immemorial that when somebody dies, those that are alive read Quran for the ones that have gone away. Okay? So this is something that is now the later uh, Maliki scholars. They seem to allow this in my brief research that I've done. And again, if there are any Maliki experts, please benefit us in this and tell me and I will announce this next week. No problem. To the best of my knowledge, I have found both positions still in the Maliki school. Unlike the Shafi'i school, by the way, I have not found anybody. The Shafi'i school seems to have completely gone basically with the uh, Hanafi Madhab. So the Shafi'i is now similar to the Hanafi Madhab in our times. The Malikis, we did this. Now, which Madhab is left? The Hanbalis. Okay. The Hanbalis, I say for the last, because they went the exact opposite. They went the exact opposite. Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal was of the opinion of Imam Abu Hanifa. Very generous. 
Imam Ahd ibn Hanbal allowed good deeds to be gifted to the deceased without any restrictions whatsoever. And this was the standard position of all Hanbali ulama without exception up until modern times when the modern strand of Hanbalism, what should we say? Reinterpreted the classical school as they have done for many things as we know and they preached a version of theology that is essentially unknown to the earlier uh, ummah and they began saying that it is not allowed to do anything for the deceased other than the three that is mentioned which is not isalu thawid al-mayyad is basically sadaqa jari etc etc so let's and because this is where most of us get our fatawa from we log online and um, you know the fatawa of this group are very predominant I'm going to deconstruct this inshallah very clearly Ibn Qudama al-Maqdisi, who is the icon of the Hanbali Madhabi, is to the Hanabila what Imam al-Nawi is to the Shafi'is. Ibn Qudama is the medieval icon of Hanbalism. And he wrote some of the most classical books, including Al-Mughni. And Al-Mughni is one of the greatest encyclopedias of fiqh ever written in the history of Islam. Ibn Qudama was a Hanbali theologian and a faqih, and a teacher of the teacher of Ibn Taymiyyah. He was basically a century before Ibn Taymiyyah. Ibn Qudama writes in his Al-Mughni, and Al-Mughni is considered to be one of the primary references of Islamic fiqh in all the madhahib because Ibn Qudama wrote an encyclopedia of all four madhahib in Al-Mughni and he writes volume 2 page 225 any good deed that a person does and gives its thawab to a Muslim mayyit two conditions dead and Muslim okay so the Hanabila generally speaking didn't really allow the gifting to the living. That's the Hanafis. The Hanabila want to gift it to the deceased. Okay? And it has to be Muslim. You cannot give to a non-Muslim, which is of course understood because the, Muslim, the non-Muslim is explicit in the Quran. So any good deed that is gifted to a Muslim, Allah Azza wa Jal will benefit the, the, the mayyit because of it. And some of them said that when the Quran is recited over the deceased and it is gifted, its thawab will go uh, to the qari, uh, and the mayyit will also be as if he has gotten the blessings. However, he mentions the mayyit, so he's basically mentioning the controversy that, so a little bit advanced here. Some ulama said, some ulama said, if you recite the Quran over the mayyit, the mayyit doesn't get the reward of the recitation. The mayyit gets the barakah of the Qur'an. There's a difference between the two. So when I read Qur'an in my house, there's going to be barakah coming down. Right? And there's going to be a reward for me reciting the Qur'an. Two separate points. Some ulama said that when you read Qur'an for the deceased, what the deceased gets is the barakah and the sakina and not the reward. You understand? Very small. Ibn Qudama says no. He's refuting that point. That's not the case. Rather, the disease gets the thawab. And then he says, and this is ijma' al-Muslimin. The unanimous actions of the Muslims. فَإِنَّهُمْ فِي كُلِّ عَصْرٍ وَمِصْرٍ in every era and in every land, they come together and they recite Qur'an and they give the thawab to their dead without anybody criticizing them. 
I want you to ponder over what Ibn Qudama says. And he says this is the custom from time immemorial in every Asr wa Misr, in every time and in every land, that people come together and they read Quran and they gift it to the deceased and no one criticizes them. Min nakir. Who is saying this? Ibn Qudama al-Maqdisi. One of the greatest icons of the Hanbali uh, Madhab. And I can quote more and more the Hanbali Madhab I'm the most familiar with because obviously that's the Madhab I studied intimately. Imam al-Bahuti, he wrote his Kashaf al-Qina' which is considered to be the khulas or the zubda of the later Hanbali position and it is the primary book that is taught uh, in those lands where you want to be a judge in the Hanbali Madhab. The Kashaf is one of the main books that is taught. And he writes that the position of Imam Ahmad is that all good deeds reach the deceased and he mentions that he also mentions that people gathering together to read Quran for the deceased is something that the ummah has done from time immemorial and no one has made a fuss over this issue okay so this is Imam al-Bahuti now what do you think Ibn Taymiyyah Shaykh al-Islam said and he's from the Hanbali school trick question or what I'm asking you Hmm? Ibn Taymiyyah and his student Ibn al-Qayyim who are of course some of the most well-known ulama in the history of Islam and people that obviously as you know I admire immensely and I consider myself to be a minor student of their thought they are very very explicit that all good deeds can be gifted to the deceased. And this is a shock to many people to find out because those who claim to follow these two icons are on the exact opposite opinion. And they are the ones who make a very big deal about gifting good deeds to the deceased and about reading Quran for the deceased and about coming together to read Quran for the deceased. Ibn Taymiyyah and Ibn Qayyim on multiple occasions. There are over 10 specific points in his Majmu'a Fatawa that I have. And also Ibn Qayyim in his Kitab al-Ruh, which I'm actually going to read from because, again, most of the people who presume they're following these two authorities have never actually read the books directly. They're only getting snippets from later authorities and they rarely go back to the original. Ibn Taymiyyah. Writes, Majmur Fatawa, volume 24, page 252. It is confirmed, yani thabata bil yaqeen, something well known, that the Prophet wasallam allowed giving charity for the deceased, and he allowed fasting for the deceased. And these evidences and others, the whole nine categories I mentioned, are used by Imam Ahmad and Abu Hanifa to allow gifting other deeds like the salah and the qira'at al-Quran to the deceased. This is Ibn Taymiyyah writing. Even the salah if you want to. And Qira'at al-Quran. Basically, what is mentioned in the hadith is not a comprehensive list. It is an illustrative list. So anybody comes and says, I want to do this. The Prophet says, go ahead and do it. Anybody comes and says, I want to do hajj, I want to do sadaq, I want to do fast. Go ahead and do it. It's not a comprehensive list. It is illustrating examples and from this, you get the principle. What is the principle? Any good deed can be gifted for the deceased. However, Ibn Taymiyyah says, 
It should be known, and I like this is Ibn Taymiyyah truly is an academic and intellectual. Listen to what he's saying. It should be known that it is not from the regular customs of the Sahaba and Tabi'un that every time they prayed or every time they read Quran or fasted or, or did Hajj that they would gift their, de- their deeds to the deceased or even to their relatives. And indeed, the best method is to follow what the uh, Salaf did. So he is saying, theoretically, it is allowed. It's allowed at the same time. We shouldn't just start giving every, gifting every single good deed, and I'll mention why in a while. And in volume 24, page 233, he was asked about the practice common in his time of hiring people to read Quran for the deceased. Of hiring people to read Quran for the deceased. So what they would do is that they would pay money to some Qurra. They would come to the house, and the Qurra would read Quran and gift it to the deceased. And Ibn Taymiyyah says that none of the scholars encouraged hiring others to read the Qur'an. But if people read the Qur'an and a gift is given to those charity, sadaqah is given, not a contract, i.e. people come and you just gift them from the, 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 the waratha, from the mayyit's money. Or if somebody comes and does it without any gift, like he just wants to do it, then the person shall be gifted the deed of the Qira'at al-Qur'an. Right? So what is Ibn Taymiyyah saying? Don't pay people to come and read Qur'an. But if people come and you just give them a gift, and they, it's not a contract you sign that I'm going to come and you do that, you feed them, you do something for them, no problem. And if somebody does it out of his ihsan, he wants to benefit the dead, also no problem, and it will go to the mayyit. Now, another point I want to also mention in volume 1, page 317, somebody asked him about gifting to the Prophet ﷺ in particular. Can I do a good deed and gift it to the Prophet ﷺ? And he said, it is not reported from any of the early generations that they did this. And the reason for this is because, listen to this, every single good deed that you do, automatically our Prophet ﷺ gets the reward and you get the full reward. You don't need to give specially to him. Because the one person who will get every good deed that is ever done by any Muslim, and you will get the full reward, and he will get the full reward, is our Prophet You don't need to separate and say, oh, this hajj is for your hajj and your salah and your qira'ah, anything you do. The Prophet is getting the reward for tabligh al-risalah. So clearly, you do not have to give the Prophet anything. That's very clear. He doesn't need it. Your deeds will automatically appear in his scale and in your scale from Allah's uh, blessing. Now, Ibn al-Qayyim in his Kitab al-Ruh has the most detailed discussion of gifting to the deceased. And I strongly encourage every advanced student of knowledge to read through the 20 or so pages in my edition from page 326 all the way to 350, so almost 25 pages uh, about this regard. And it is the most detailed discussion back and forth that I have found of this issue in all the books that have come of early Islam. Obviously, in our times, there are some dissertations and whatnot that have gone into more detail. But in classical and medieval times, this is the most detailed discussion. And I wanted to, in particular, uh, quote from this book, Ibn al-Qayyim basically says that out of all of these texts adding to one another, we can prove 
that the rewards of the good deeds reach the dead when a living person does it for him. So all of these ahadith, he mentions some of what I have done, and uh, I mentioned more than that, but the point is all of these nine genres, he mentions a good selection of them. Then he says, all of these put together prove a principle. It's something now thabit, something confirmed, that gifting the good deeds from the living to the dead is something that reaches the dead. And then he says, and even common sense and qiyas, even analogy, i.e. rationality proves this point. It's not just the texts. It's also Islamic qiyas. One of the principles of Islamic uh, 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 extraction is qiyas, that this does this. Why? Because he said, the reward of the good deed, who owns it? The one who has done it. So the one who has done it has the right to gift it to whomever he chooses, just like in this dunya, if I have some money, if I have some item, don't I have the right to gift it to anybody? It's my milkiya, I own it. And so similarly, if I've done a good deed, I have the right to credit somebody else with that good deed if I choose to do so. So what he is saying is that both the Quran and Sunnah and common sense and qiyas, they prove this point. That any good deed can be gifted to any, what's the one condition? Muslim. Obviously everybody says there's no controversy here. To any Muslim, it can be gifted uh, there. Then he mentions explicitly, as for reciting the Qur'an and gifting it to the deceased without paying, without the fees. We don't want the fees guy. We don't want somebody you pay the Qur'an to. We want somebody who wants to do it on his own. This will reach the dead just like fasting and hajj reaches the dead as well. Now, if somebody were to say but this fact was not known to the Salaf. The Salaf did not gather and read the Qur'an. They didn't give the Qur'an to the deceased. This was not known to the Salaf. And it is not narrated from any of them that they did this even though they were so eager to do good. Nor did the Prophet explicitly command them to read the Qur'an for the dead. Even though he commanded them to pray and for istighfar and sadaqah and hajj and psalm. So if the qira of the Qur'an would reach the dead, he should have told them to do this. You see what he is saying now, right? He's taking on, if somebody were to say this. Now, here's the irony. He is taking on, essentially, the Shafi'i school. Right now, when he's writing the book. The Shafi'i school has abandoned this position. Who has adopted it? Huh? the later modified version 3.2 Hanbalis. Okay? Our modern strand, those who follow, those who presume themselves following the Salaf, that strand is essentially almost unanimous. That, we don't do this. Ironically, and this is so beautiful if you read this, Ibn al-Qayyim, it is as if he is quoting his own later school and refuting them point by point. And his own school will not accept what what one of their icons is saying. So he says, what if somebody were to say, and he means the Shafi'is, and in reality has become his own school, that the Salaf didn't do this. We say, I'm going to summarize this because it's two pages of back and forth, and he's basically saying, this person is one of two categories. The first of them is that 
He is saying that Hajj and Siyam and Dua and Istighfar reach the deceased, but not Qiraatul Quran. So we say to this person, what is the difference between reading Quran and between all of these other good deeds? What is the difference between them? Do you have an evidence to separate this good deed from the other list over there? These ahadith prove the general rule. You are coming and trying to find some exceptions. The same person who told you Hajj and Sadaqah and Quran, and in fact, any question that the Prophet was asked about this, he allowed. Then you come and you bring an exception. Where is your evidence for separating? There's no evidence. And as for the claim that the Salaf, um, sorry, and then the second category, those who say that these things don't reach the deceased, and this is not the Shafi'i school, this is actually the Mu'tazila, by the way. I did not mention, or actually I did, I think very briefly I said last, last class, the Mu'tazila, they said no, nothing benefits the deceased. And this is for them, and Imam Ibn Qayyim says, as for them, we say all of the evidences disprove this point. Then he says, as for the reason why the Salaf, it has not been mentioned from them, he brings a number of points. First and foremost, that they would do things in private, they didn't publicize these things. Uh, secondly, that uh, the Prophet ﷺ, he himself was not the one who told them to fast and give sadaqah and hajj and don't do Qur'an. Rather, these were questions posed to him. And anybody who came and asked him, he allowed it to do. And therefore, theoretically, if somebody, what he's trying to argue, if somebody had asked him Qur'at al-Qur'an, he would have explicitly allowed it as well. And then he says, how can anybody disprove that any of the Salaf did this? It is an unknown whether they did it or not. It's something we don't know whether they did or not, and the other evidences prove that it is something that can be allowed, and he goes on and on. So this is Ibn al-Qayyim in his Kitab al-Ruh, and he has an entire section refuting the Shafi'i scholars who didn't allow Isalu Thawabil al-Mayyit, which is the same evidences his later, his later followers use in our times, and of them, Imam al-Shafi'i quoted two things, وَأَلَّيْسَ لِلْإِنسَانِ إِلَّا مَا سَعَى Right? And what's the second one? And he has a section how to respond to these evidences. And he says, as for this uh, point of we can answer this from a number of ways, and I'm only going to mention two of them. One of them, which I really liked, Ibn Aqil, the famous Hanbali scholar of the 5th century, said, this verse, does not negate Isalu Thawab al Mayyit. Why? This is a very interesting point. Pay attention to this. Think about who you would gift a good deed to. And then ask yourself, why am I gifting a good deed to this person? What is the response? Why? He did something for me. That's why I'm gifting him a good deed. Now, why would I spend... $10,000 going for hajj and sacrifice two, three weeks of my life and toil and get involved with the hajj and the crowd and the zahma and this and that. Why would I do that? And then in the end say, Oh Allah, all of this, I want a gift to so-and-so. Why would I do that? Because I owe a huge debt of gratitude to that person. Correct? Ibn Aqil says, وَأَلَّيْسَ لِلْإِنسَانِ إِلَّا مَا سَعَى This is his sa'i. Somebody has impacted you so much that you want to gift your good deeds. 
This is, and wallah, how profound is this? How true is this, right? You don't gift good deeds to strangers. You don't give good deeds to every Tom, Dick, and Harry or Tahir, Harith, and whatever, you know, um, Mikael, whatever. You don't do this. You gift it to those who've had impact on you. Your mother, your father, somebody who took care of you, somebody who financed you, somebody who did this. You owe them so much, you have a feeling, how can I pay them back? Then you go and you spend money. You go for Hajj, you go for Umrah. And Allah is saying, That person helped you. That is his sa'i. Now you are paying him back. He is getting part of what he has done. Not a contradiction. And then Ibn Qayyim also says, and Ibn Taymiyyah, my teacher Ibn Taymiyyah, had another way of interpreting this verse. And he says, illa A person only basically owns what he himself has done. And this verse is correct. The verse does not negate that another ownership of a good deed can transfer to him. I.e., what he is saying is that the verse is saying, your good deeds are what you own. That's true. The verse is not negating that if somebody wants to transfer his good deeds to you, you cannot own them. It's not your haq. You cannot demand anybody else's good deeds. You cannot. But what if that person gives you? The verse does not negate. You only have the right on judgment day for what you have done. That is your haq. Can you demand the haqq of another person's good deeds? No. But what if that person voluntarily gifts you? The verse does not negate that. The verse allows this to happen. And he says as well, when the son of Adam dies, this hadith also the same thing can be applied here. His deeds finish. And it's true. It doesn't say somebody else's deeds cannot be gifted to him. Very clear here. Yes, of course, your deeds finish. But there's no negation of benefit from other sources. There's nothing of the sort. And therefore, it is very clear that Ibn Qayyim and Ibn Taymiyyah are upon the standard Hanbali Madhab and the position of Ahmad ibn Hanbal himself. And it is also the Hanafi position. And it is the modern Shafi'i position. And it is many of the modern Maliki scholars as well. Essentially, to be very simplistic, the entire Ummah in our times has agreed that one may gift good deeds to the deceased, especially Qiraat al-Quran, except for one small movement that became popular in the early 90s. It took the world by storm and it has a huge impact. I also was swept up in it, as you all know, in an earlier stage of my life. And that uh, understanding of Islam, it is very appealing, but at the same time, when you, when you look deeper and you go to the sources, you find that it is not the majority. It has never been the majority. In fact, it goes against its own founders. And I have said before, and I say again, if Ibn Taymiyyah had been alive today, the very school that claims to follow him would have been the first to kick him off of their own uh, manhaj. This is well known. In any case, um, to give you some examples, the Lejna Daima of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, the senior committee of ulama, and it's fatwa dated 2232. They were asked about reciting the Quran for the deceased, and they said that there are two opinions on this issue, but the correct opinion is that uh, it does not reach the deceased, and in fact, to recite the Quran over the deceased is a bid'ah. Okay, so they said it is a bid'ah to recite the Quran over the uh, deceased. And this is the position of pretty much all of the famous scholars. And again, I say this with respect. Do not read into my statements as anything of disrespect. These are ulama that I studied with. I still respect them to this day, even if I disagree with their positions. That is their version of Islam, and I know they were sincere. I have no doubt about it that they were sincere. But that is an opinion. 
and we respect that opinion. And they are not the first to say it. Even though, to be, to be brutally honest, to say that it is a bid'ah is a bit harsh. The classical scholars was give and take. And by the way, this is one fundamental difference. Imam Shafi'i and Imam Abu Hanifa, they didn't make tabdi' of one another. It was positions they held. Isalu thabab al-mayyid. It goes, it doesn't go. No big deal. That's my opinion, that's your opinion. But to claim my way or the highway, that's dangerous. That is where the problem comes. And the classical ulama did not have this very, very intransigent view. This is something that Ibn Taymiyyah, Ibn Qayyim, Ibn, Ta- Ibn, Ibn Qayyim is arguing like an academic, back and forth. If you want to hold that, okay, no big deal, but this is my opinion. He never made tabdir, takfir, no big deal. This is my position, I'm going to prove it, but hey, if you want to follow your position, alhamdulillah, no big deal. But to come and say, anybody who disagrees is not a good Muslim. Anybody who disagrees, your Islam is doubtful. You're mubtadir, you're dal, you're mudil, you're off the manha. This, this attitude is harmful to the ummah. And we've seen the harm that it has caused. And again, this is something we have to be clear about. We don't find this in the character of the early ulama, and especially of Ibn Taymiyyah ibn Qayyim. We don't find it. But we do find it in groups that claim to follow them. And I have no problem, you want to say that reciting the Qur'an is not allowed? This is what Imam al-Shafi'i said. Not Ahmad ibn Hamad, by the way. Imam al-Shafi'i said, no problem. But don't make the other group mubtadir. Don't say you're dal, mudil, this is wrong. Have your position, defend it, and then tolerate a position that goes back to the tabi'un tabatabi'un. That was and still remains a majority of the ummah to this day. This is where I have to say this is the mistake. The mistake is not in the position you want to hold. The mistake is in not allowing another position to have a legitimacy to it. Because this is where we get fractions, fighting, infighting. We have enough problems outside the ummah to be worried about fighting over these issues inside the ummah. Live and let live when it comes to these internal issues. So, uh, of course, as well, I forgot to mention, another great alim, not meant to be disrespectful, but you should just be aware, Shaykh al-Albani, may Allah have mercy on him. I benefited from him immensely when I was a teenager, and I owe him a lot to my own uh, thought process and whatnot. But he has views that, again, based on his ijtihad, he did not allow reciting the Qur'an for anybody except for the son or daughter. Because he has a certain usul, which is very literalist, as you know, if you know Sheikh al-Bani. And he basically did not allow any person, any brother, any friend, any, even the parent for the child, no. Only the son or daughter for the mother or father, that is it. Based on, you know, the sadaqah jariah for the child and whatnot. So he did not allow it at all. And he said it is a bid'ah for anybody else to uh, do this. Now, of course, they're saying it is a bid'ah. Ibn Qudama is saying there's ijma' that it is allowed. Look at the difference. And wallahi, it is interesting, right? And the Maliki scholars and Ibn Rushd, this is something fi kulli asrin wa misr, people have been doing it. Coming and reading Quran for the deceased. They're writing this a thousand years ago. And then a recent scholar comes and says, it is bid'ah. Who are you going to trust? Ibn Qudama from a thousand years ago? Or Ibn Rushd from also a thousand, a thousand two hundred years ago, saying that the Ummah is doing this from time immemorial, or somebody fifty years ago saying it is bid'ah and dal and budid. Yani it's up to you who you want to trust. But in any case, to conclude, in our times, 
pretty much the entirety of the Ummah, including the Shafi'i Madhab, which used to say something else, except for, as we said, one modern strand of Hanbalism, uh, it has allowed the gifting of the Qur'an to the deceased and doing good deeds for the deceased without any conditions whatsoever. It is something that is allowed. Some of the Malikis, they distinguish between A'mal Maliyya and A'mal Badaniyya. And they said only monetary deeds reach and not deeds of the body. But generally speaking, the vast majority of scholars allowed the gifting of the, especially in our times, they allowed this. And to finish off, two points. Number one, we've talked about the issue of gifting, but do realize, when you gift your good deeds to the deceased, what you are doing is saying to Allah, Oh Allah, I don't want this good deed anymore. Give it to somebody else. That's what Ibn Taymiyyah is pointing out. Don't make a mockery of this thing. If you go around gifting all your good deeds to everybody, what you are saying, you don't have any good deeds left. That, that's not what this concept is for. Do you go around giving all of your money to somebody else? No matter how much you love somebody, they'll take some of your money, but you keep some for yourself. And the more you love them, the more you give, but you also have rent, rent to pay. You also have yourself to take care of. When you gift, see a lot of people don't understand this. When you gift a good deed, you are saying, if this is the deed, oh Allah, I don't want it. Give it to my mother. Now, no doubt, you should gift to your mother, your father, your deceased. Go ahead, whoever needs to be given. But you also need a healthy dosage for yourself on Qiyamah. Now, question, why would you give something that you have done? Response, because you love someone so much and you owe them so much that they, that's their haq on you. Also, you hope that Allah will give you for your generosity. You see, that's a very key point here. When you're good to somebody else, Allah will give you. So, a lot of people say, when I gift my umrah to my whatever, will I get the reward of the umrah? Technically, no, you won't. Technically, no, you won't. But you will get the reward of gifting something so precious to somebody else. And that is its own reward, number one. Number two, can Allah not gift you and the other person? Theoretically, yes. But technically, that's not what ihda'a thawab means. Do you understand my point here? Allah ala kulli shayin qadir. And Allah might in his karam give you and somebody else. But technically, what does it mean when you gift your good deed? It is like Ibn al-Qayyim said, gifting your money. You give it to somebody else, you no longer have it. You've gifted it to them, it's theirs now. On judgment day, your hajj will be in their scales, not in your scales. What will you get the reward of? Oh Allah, I want to pay my debt I owe to that person, my mother, my father, my grandmother, my grandfather, by doing this good deed on their behalf. So the wise person gifts in accordance with that haq, but doesn't gift everything because you don't want to appear penniless on judgment day. Okay, now, does that mean there's no reward at all? No, of course. When you go for hajj, what else do you do when you're at hajj? Dua, salah, dhikr. So there's a lot of stuff going on that you will get the reward of. Your dua of Arafah is for you. You're making it. 
So even if you gift the reward of Hajj to somebody, you are also benefiting immensely by doing so many other things. And you don't just do the Hajj, you read Quran there, you do dhikr, you're doing tawaf, extra, whatnot. So all of that is being done. So it's not just that you get nothing. You get Allah's reward for gifting. Allah might be kareem and give it to you back anyway. And you also get the good deeds that you do in that time frame. Is that clear? Okay, final point. To be very clear here, I discussed the issue of gifting good deeds. I did not discuss the specifics of what happens about Quran Khanis and coming together. I didn't even talk about that. That's a separate topic altogether. I didn't talk about that. I simply said, the vast majority of scholars, including Ibn Taymiyyah, Ibn Qayyim, Imam Ahmad Abu Hanifa, and even, even Imam Al-Nawi seems to be siding with this, the vast majority of scholars have said, you may read the Quran in your personal private life and gift it to the deceased. And I believe in this as well. Now, all of these additional trappings of on the 40th day, we're going to invite people on this and that, I didn't talk about that at all. So please don't read in that I'm allowing that or I'm speaking about that. Generally speaking, I am very cautious about that. And I think that the more things you add, the more problematic it becomes. So I'm not, uh, I'm definitely not endorsing those customs and habits. That having been said, I also want to say that perhaps the strictness with which one group has criticized coming together and reading Quran is also not in its place. And perhaps because of that backlash, the other group wanted to even make it even more firm. And for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. This is human nature. Neither is it the worst of all evils, nor is it something that is inherently encouraged in the Sharia. This is my position. Neither is it the most bid'ah of bid'ahs, or there's anything. In the end of the day, people are coming and reading Quran. I mean, calm down. It's not the end of the world. It's not Qiyamah has come. They've come to read Quran. They're not doing something evil per se. Okay? Is it good to specify a time and a tariqah and a method? I don't think so. But is it evil? I also don't think so. So I don't encourage it. But at the same time, I wouldn't make a big deal of it. In calmer situations like right now, I tell you, don't do it. But when somebody has passed away and their family is doing it, for you to barge in and say haram and kufr and bid'ah, this is not Islam, what you are doing. Wallahi, what they are doing is closer to the spirit of Islam than what you are doing. If you think that you're going to come closer to Allah by being harsh and mean because they're reading Quran over the deceased. And Ibn Qudama says there's ijma' and Ibn Humam says fi kulli asin wa misr people have gathered and read the Quran. This is something that has been done. I don't encourage it. But it's not something that is inherently evil that we have to be warning against. We teach that don't, if you're able to, don't do it in your families. This is what I say, honestly, don't do it. Do what our Prophet told us to do. If you want to do something, go for hajj. If you want to do something, build a well. This is far better than reading Quran, to be honest. Because building a well is sadaqah jariyah. Reading Quran is a page or two. So, far better. But if some family is doing it, that's their emotions that they're, that's they're dealing with it. And yani, There's a time and a place to teach them. When somebody dies, is not the time and place that you want to fine-tune these, these, these understandings that they have. And to conclude, and allow me to make a free plug here, inshallah ta'ala, uh, 
Alhamdulillah, I'm involved in many projects of Sadaqah Jariyah. Some large, some small. If you're able to find your projects, Alhamdulillah. If not, feel free to come to me. I'm building schools for refugees across the world. Uh, I also have uh, sponsorships of wells that uh, people that are doing in Bangladesh and other places. Any projects that you feel that you uh, don't have any Sadaqah Jariyah access to, I have, alhamdulillah, many projects that I'm involved with for Sadaqah Jariyah. So if you have a large amount, think of a school. Uh, I myself have built a school in Minam um, with my money, but I'm saying gathered money to build a school in multiple places. And if you want to do that as well, it's something possible. And if you want to do smaller projects like building wells or whatnot, and you don't have your own. If you have your own contacts, alhamdulillah. If you don't, then alhamdulillah, I have contacts that will directly connect you. I'm just the middleman. I don't get a commission except with Allah Azza wa Jal. My commission was Allah Azza wa Jal to connect you. But other than that, just to get the uh, projects done, I am here inshallah for that. Inshallah, we will conclude our Barzakh series next Wednesday, inshallah. Finish up with next Wednesday. And we'll also have an extended q and I know a lot of you have a Q&A. No time today. We'll have that next Wednesday, inshallah. Jazakumullah khair. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.